Good morning. It is so good to be back with you. I am grateful to be better, to be healed up from the sickness that I was dealing with last week, and grateful to worship with you all. I was glad to be able to hear Al's lesson via live stream, but I tell you what, there is no substitute for the real deal, and it is so encouraging to be with you this morning, to sing with you, and to remember Jesus together. Uh, I, singing is such a, such a blessing that we get to do that uh, together. We can see all throughout Scripture, uh, the New Testament especially, when God's people can sing in any situation, it has an impact on us, and it, ha- it helps our faith, and it can have an impact on others around us as well, and that's certainly true even in our assemblies. Uh, I heard some younger voices this morning, uh, maybe that was Teddy or Nathan, perhaps, and grateful for the encouragement that that, that, that is as well. Uh, also, uh, before I forget, I want to thank our visitors. Um, Aman is here. I think he just stepped out for a minute, but uh, met him in Aurora a couple weeks ago and grateful that, uh, that he's joined us this morning. Uh, hope you get a chance to meet him if he didn't last week. Um, and any other visitors that we have, grateful, grateful for your presence. This morning, there's, there's something I want to share with you that I haven't talked about publicly, uh, but it's something that's been a major challenge for me personally as I've tried to, to preach the gospel. Uh, the challenge that I'm talking about is, in simple terms, the problem of insecurity. To be honest with you, I have felt insecure about preaching since the day I agreed to come and work with this group. Uh, I feel unqualified. I feel lacking to do this work. Because here's the thing, I, I don't have a degree in Bible. I don't have a degree in theology. I don't have a degree in anything really related to this. I never did a preacher training program. I hardly know anything about Hebrew or Greek. I'm not the most polished speaker. I didn't ever plan to preach full-time. I wasn't preparing for that. Not only that, I have OCD, which in my case produces ADHD-like symptoms that make it really hard to focus at times and, and uh, to focus on study and that sort of thing. And, and the list goes on as to reasons I feel unqualified. And so in starting to think like this, I can quickly get into a pretty major mental rut. And I have gotten into a pretty major mental rut in the last month or two. I start to question what I'm doing. I start to question whether or not my lessons are doing any good. Uh, I start to feel like an unqualified imposter who should not be preaching. And for a while, I thought the antidote to that and trying to figure out, well, what do I do about this? I thought the antidote might be to work harder and harder at lesson preparation. If I work really hard and, and try to read a lot and, and sound smarter and you know, work harder, that maybe I could preach some sermons that would really make an impact. Uh, and if, if I could just push myself harder to preach strong, impressive lessons, maybe I could convince myself that I'm good enough. But that didn't seem to work. And I was left struggling with my own sense of inadequacy with no solution in sight. I really wasn't sure what to do. And then this past Sunday, I was sick and stuck at home. So instead of being the one doing the preaching, I got to listen to some sermons on live stream that others were preaching. And that was nice to have a little bit of a break. I listened to two sermons in two different time zones. That's the the benefit of live streaming, I guess, is that you can catch different services in different places uh, starting at different times. So the second of those in central time was Al's sermon, which was preached here, which I thought was just excellent. 
But the first sermon I watched was preached in Florida at the Valrico Church, where Cassie and I uh, attended before coming here. But that particular sermon that I heard was a special one. Uh, And the reason it was special is that it is the first sermon that my close friend and mentor, Shane Scott, had preached basically since Cassie and I left Florida in May. He has not preached that entire time. And if you don't know Shane and everything that's gone on with him, basically, in short, he's a very close friend of mine and of Cassie's who preaches and teaches in Florida. And Shane's had some enormous health challenges over the past roughly six months, starting with a fall right after we left. And those challenges have rendered him basically unable to walk and made it incredibly difficult for him to move at all. And because of this, he's been stuck in bed in rehab facilities for most of that time. But Sunday, for the first time since May, Shane preached in person for the Christians at Valrico, and I was able to watch it. And his lesson dealt with 2 Corinthians chapter 4, which talks about how we are jars of clay, uh, temporary vessels of God's light shining through us and God's power working through us. And he also talked about 2 Corinthians chapter 12, which addresses the idea that it is when we are at our weakest that God can use us most effectively to show his strength. When we're weak, then then we're strong. And that lesson was just the jolt I needed to knock some sense into me about all this that I'd been feeling. My problem was really not all the things I'd been insecure about, but rather my problem was the fact that those things had led me to shift my focus toward myself. I was looking inward too much. I was looking at my inadequacies, and I had been shifted away from looking at God and His amazing power. The problem was all those things that I was so concerned about, they all started with I. I don't have a degree. I didn't do a training program. Really, a focus should not have been on me to begin with at all. And so I realize that none of you are full-time preachers right now. Maybe one has been in the past this morning. But, uh, but none of you are doing that work right now. But I'm confident that having insecurity and feeling inadequate is not exclusive to preachers. I see enough nodding heads to know that that's true. Especially and even when it comes to serving in God's kingdom. We can all feel inadequate and insecure at times. And so I'm not going to try to re-preach Shane's lesson, though if you want the YouTube link, I would be happy to give it to you. This is a phenomenal, phenomenal lesson. But what I am going to try to do is share with you some of the things that I've learned from Scripture that have helped me see how I need to change my perspective And my attitude from insecurity about my own limitations to wonder and awe at the amazing things God can do through people who really amount to very little by the world's standards. And so the passage I want us to consider together this morning is not one found in 2 Corinthians, where Shane talked from, but in 1 Corinthians, in the very first chapter of that epistle. So I'd invite you to open your Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 as we consider some thoughts from there. In 1 Corinthians 1, Paul shares some thoughts with the church at Corinth about what matters to God and about what God is looking for in people who would serve him and then what they ought to do about that. So let's begin reading in verse 22 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 22, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. 
God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord." And so already we can see from what Paul says about the Christ and what he says about the Christians at Corinth as well, that physical greatness is not what God wants. God's not interested in that. On the other hand, the Jews, they wanted that, this passage tells us. They wanted something really impressive. They wanted a sign. That's what they were looking for. They wanted something that would amaze them, Paul says, and and convince them on their terms of the legitimacy of the gospel. And what that tells us is they were concerned with physical appearances, physical power. But God, on the other hand, is not concerned with that. The cross of Christ, the gospel, stands in opposition to that, in contrast to that. And so because God is not concerned with physical greatness, that's why the gospel message centers around a crucified Christ. And because that's what the gospel centers around, that's why the Jews stumbled over the gospel says it was a stumbling block to them because what they were concerned with did not match up with what matters to God. But then there are the Gentiles. So the Jews wanted an impressive sign, somebody to show them some real strength. The Gentiles, Paul says, wanted something smart and intellectual by the world's standards. They wanted to hear some wisdom. I think of the, the group in Acts chapter 17 on Mars Hill who spent all their time just trying to hear some new thing. They just wanted to be wowed by some intellectual or philosopher of the day. And so if these Gentiles were going to accept the gospel, they wanted to be impressed by its intellectual, philosophical wisdom. And in reality, Paul says the gospel applauds neither those who can do impressive acts like the Jews wanted or those who can wow others with their intellectual abilities like the Gentiles wanted. Those aren't the kind of people the gospel applauds. But rather, according to the gospel, the greatest person who ever lived was Jesus. And Jesus is a humble, suffering servant who was crucified, making him the least of all men in the world's eyes. That wouldn't make any sense to anyone who viewed things through an earthly perspective. He seems like a nobody. But to those who are willing to change their perspective, it becomes an incredible demonstration of the power of God. And so Paul goes on to explain that even when God works through foolish and weak people by human standards, it becomes clear that God, working through even the least of us, is far greater than even the greatest of people on this earth. Paul says here that not many of the Christians he wrote to were wise according to worldly standards. He says not many of them were powerful. Not many of them were born into very prestigious families and lots of wealth. But his writing also shows us that this was not accidental. In fact, God's not looking for physical strength or perfection physically. In fact, God intentionally, he says, chose. God chose what is weak. God chose what is foolish, what is low and despised in the world. In verses 27 and 28, Paul says that's, that's on purpose. But ultimately, that's, that's not a new concept uh, when Paul says it. I'm reminded of what Jesus said that is recorded in all three synoptic gospels, and Luke records it in Luke chapter 5. It says, And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat with and drink with tax collectors and sinners? 
And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So Jesus told the scribes and Pharisees that it's the sick, the sinners, those are the people he came for. Those are the people he's interested in, not the righteous or the perfectly healthy who think they're all good. And did he say that because the scribes and Pharisees were actually righteous and perfectly healthy? Well, obviously not. <laughs> Rather, when Jesus refers to the sick, he refers to those who can acknowledge and realize and, and recognize that they are weak, that they need him. Those are the people Jesus said he came for. But even before that, God has always been interested in working through weak people. Consider what we have been reading about Israel in the book of Deuteronomy. They were not the strongest nation. They were not the biggest nation. They were not the smartest nation. They were not even the most righteous nation. What do they have going for them? Not a whole lot, but God chose them intentionally. And through them, God defeated the nations who were the strongest. God defeated the nations who were the biggest and the most mighty, showing that even when working through the weakest of people, God is far stronger than even the strongest of people. What this tells us as Christians is that we need to stop putting so much stock in being strong, intellectual, impressive to the world. We need to stop caring so much about whether the world thinks highly of us or not. My point is not that we should never try to be educated. My point is not that we should never exercise our bodies. Those aren't biblical concepts either, to avoid those things. But what we should do is we should stop feeling this pull, this need to make the world think we are something special. It's okay not to be something special because Paul tells us God chooses those who the world thinks are nothing. Those are the people God uses. He chooses those whom the world thinks are weak. God chooses those whom the world despises. That's what Paul says. And God, of course, has made that abundantly clear by the fact that Jesus was the Christ. Jesus was nothing. He was despised by the world's standards again. But yet Jesus was God's own son, of whom he said, I am well pleased with you. So brothers and sisters, I'm preaching to myself as much as I am preaching to you this morning. But I urge you, don't be convinced by the world's argument that you need to be something amazing by their standards in order to fulfill your purpose. Don't believe that for a moment. It's not true. The fact is, and this is true for every single person here, your purpose in this life is to glorify God. And if you do that, you have fulfilled everything you were made to be. And while the world might never understand that, the truth is that if you feel weak, if you feel like you're nothing and you don't have much to offer, you are actually right where you need to be for God to work through you to show his glory. God doesn't use people who are full of themselves and put confidence in the flesh. He doesn't use people who have all their confidence in their own wisdom or their own strength. The world will tell us that if we feel ineffective, if we feel powerless, if we feel like a nobody, that we need to work harder. And one day, hopefully, we will finally grow strong enough or smart enough to have a meaningful life. People will know our name and we'll find satisfaction that way. 
But if we buy into that, that that's what it takes to have meaning and purpose in our lives, what we will have done is make it so that God can't use us, nor can he help us. Not because he's lacking in his own power, but because when we do that, we reject God. We say, I'm good on my own. I'm going to rely on what I can do. And ultimately, that's not the way to finding meaning or fulfillment in our lives. That is a sure path to emptiness and regret. So when we start to feel insecure, when we look around at other people, and everybody else seems to have all the talents, all the abilities that we don't have, everybody else seems to be better than us, what Paul would have us remember is that people who are the most brilliant or powerful, people who have their confidence in those things, are rarely the kind of people who God can use and bless the most. Paul says God chose not the geniuses, but the foolish. God chose not the mighty, the powerful, and the wealthy, but the weak. God chose not the popular and the well-known, but God chose the lowly and despised. So if you've ever felt like you're not the smartest, if you've ever felt weak or unlikable, if you've ever felt insecure, the world will tell you you need to work on loving yourself. While at the same time, they also will convince you that you need to achieve earthly success in order to overcome those things. It's a faulty recipe. It clearly doesn't make sense. But God says that if sometimes you feel like you're not the smartest, if you feel weak, if you feel lacking in some areas that it seems everybody else has plenty of, then you are exactly the kind of person that he chooses and uses in his service. And so if you look at yourself and you see imperfection, you see weakness, if you see a lack of the things the world praises in people, God says, you're exactly where I want you to be in order for me to show my amazing power through you. And so this morning, if you've ever thought, how am I, little old me, who's just sitting here in Sycamore, Illinois, of all places this morning, insignificant, I'm not anything special, how am I, I'm not the best looking, I'm not the smartest, I'm not the most articulate, articulate, there you go. <laughs> Case in point. <laughs> uh, I'm not the strongest. I'm not the most confident. How, how am I ever going to amount to anything amazing? How am I ever going to be anybody? Well, if you've ever thought that, I have good news for you. You aren't supposed to. You don't have to. What? It's kind of weird. <laughs> but that's right. You don't have to. In order for you to be everything you were made to be, you don't have to be anything spectacular. And the reason for that is if you will allow God to work through you, even your weakness can serve to show God's power. Now, I do think a couple clarifications are in order on this. When we talk about weakness, first of all, by weakness, I don't mean sinfulness. I don't mean unchristlike attributes. When I speak of allowing God to work through us, Part of that includes being willing to change ourselves to look more like Christ. But the good news is we are not alone in that effort. If we'll work toward Christ-likeness, God's grace will help us. And again, it will show God's surpassing power in even us who are weak and we're formerly sinful. Formerly sinful. So that's the first clarification. But second, I don't mean to imply that we merely become passive puppets uh, while this matter of God showing his power through us works itself out and we just sit back with a bucket of popcorn and watch him do his thing. That's not the picture either. 
On the contrary, one of the biggest ways God can show his power through us is when we will dedicate ourselves wholeheartedly to pursuing total Christ-likeness, fighting through any obstacles that stand in our way. And he's promised to strengthen and to help us in this effort. But he also desires and he demands our commitment to following Jesus and becoming like him. But those things being said, when we recognize that we are nothing awesome or spectacular, but that God is both awesome and incredible, it is then that we are ready to truly be pleasing to God as vessels through which his amazing power can be shown. So we've seen God's not interested in physical greatness as the world is, but that on the contrary, it's when we feel the weakest that God can most effectively show himself to be the greatest as he works through us. But the final thing that I think the Apostle Paul communicates to us, not only in this passage, but by the way Paul lived his life and and by the way he acted, is that we ought to use weakness, use suffering, and use trials as opportunities to glorify God. Sometimes our weakness and suffering come from things we have struggled with our entire life. Sometimes those are things that are part of our personality or part of our bodies or things like that. Other times, they come from trials that arise at specific points in our lives. Maybe our health starts to fail, or maybe we have family challenges. Maybe we encounter other challenges that come up as we live that we weren't necessarily born with. But no matter what makes us weak or what causes us to struggle and suffer, what God has called each and every one of us who are in Christ to do is to use those weaknesses and struggles to glorify him. But this isn't just something that Paul preached to the Corinthians, though he did talk a lot about that. This is something Paul lived. Paul lived this out. He goes on in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians to say this, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 1, And I, when I came to you, brothers, this is Paul speaking, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul essentially says, my words, they're not the fanciest. I'm not the greatest speaker. I have weaknesses. I have fears that I struggle with. I have physical challenges. And Paul says, I didn't try to hide that from you. You saw all of this, but I let you see all of this in me so that, and this is verse 5 verbatim, your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So when he tells the Corinthian Christians that they're supposed to use their weakness, use their foolishness as opportunities not to cover up their struggles, but instead to boast in the Lord, in verse 31, that's what he tells them, When he says that, he's backing it up by living it out. This is who Paul was himself. Paul's entire life was full of suffering, struggles, and challenges. You think about that. Everything that happened to him, he was shipwrecked, and he was stoned, and then he had a thorn in the flesh. But did he try to cover those things up and pretend like his life was just butterflies and daisies and rainbows and... Life's just one blessing after the other. Did he just sweep it under the rug and smile for the Facebook post and then suffer behind closed doors? Obviously, they didn't have Facebook, but you understand my point. 
Paul didn't hide those things, but rather he was content to let everyone see his struggles so that they would know that all the amazing things he did were not by his own power, but they were by God's power. I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where Paul kind of helps us understand how this works together. He's talking about the resurrection of Christ, but he talks about himself for a minute. In verse 10 of 1 Corinthians 15, he says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. And that's what we're called to do, too. To work hard to submit ourselves to God so that his grace might work in us and show himself to be amazing, no matter what our trials are. Our task is not to dress ourselves up, to hide our weaknesses in a way that pleases the world and makes them think, hey, they got it together. Our task is to embrace our trials, embrace our sufferings as opportunities to show the greatness of God. This can manifest itself in a lot of ways, and a lot of that depends on the nature of the struggles that we individually have. But no matter what our specific situation is, the call is the same. Use our limitations, use our weaknesses and our trials as opportunities to show how great God is, even when we are at our weakest. In 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 9, in talking about the physical limitations under which he had been placed, Paul said, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And so we too must be unashamed to acknowledge our limitations and our weaknesses. If we try to cover them up, that's just pride. And God can't use us if we are prideful and if our hearts are closed to him. In order that when people see us, they see us do amazing things, like Paul did. He did incredible things. But we're supposed to boast in our weaknesses so that when people see us do amazing things in spite of those obstacles, they can know it's only by God's power that we did them. And so whether it's being grateful and praising God even when your health challenges you greatly over and over again, or whether it's continuing to try to teach others the gospel even when you're really scared of talking about that and when you're not a very confident student. Or maybe it's doing things in kingdom service in the church, whether in public worship or not, that you're, things you're not comfortable with and that you feel underconfident about. Or, or even if it's maintaining fierce hope for eternity even when faced with the end of your life. No matter what your struggle is and how you can display God's power, the truth is always that when we acknowledge that we struggle, but we continue to do our best to serve and glorify God anyway, that's when we are fulfilling our purpose. And we can know for certain that our labor is not in vain. So I don't know everything about what you guys are going through this morning. I have some idea about some of you, but I don't know all the details. I can't get inside your head and see what, what you deal with. But I do know that we are all human, I think, unless we have any aliens here. No, I think <laughs> we're, all, we're all human. And because of that, we are all subject to limitations, and we all struggle with different things. 
But the fact is, our limitations and our struggles, because we're human, those things are a given. We all have them. We're going to have them. That's part of being human. But what is undecided and not a given is how will we respond to those things? How are we going to handle them? That's what's up to us. Will we try to cover them up? Will we try to work hard enough with our own strength that people don't notice them and people think like, oh, he's got it together? Or will we endure them proudly because they give us opportunities to show how great our God is and what he can do even when we are weak? I'm recommitting myself to take that last path, at least to do my best. When I feel insecure, when I'm tempted to give up or to fake it till you make it, I'm going to give my best effort to remember that the power is not in me anyway. It never was. And when I think that it is, I've rejected God and all that he can do. So my question to you this morning is, will you join me in that? Will you join me? We have wonderful examples to look to. We have an example in Paul. We have an ultimate example in Jesus of people who had great trials, great weaknesses, and were not much by the world's standards, but they took pride in the fact that they served a God who could accomplish great things through even those who are the weakest of people in the world's eyes. And so no matter what makes you weak in the world's eyes, remember that God's not looking for physical or worldly greatness the way people think of it around us. Consider that when we are at our lowest and our most humble state, that we are exactly where we need to be in order for God to work through us most mightily and most effectively. And with all that in mind, take your limitations and your weaknesses and use them to boast of just how much God can do even when we have nothing to offer Him. To God be the glory in all this who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to sing a song this morning to encourage obedience to the Lord. And if we can help you with a spiritual need this morning, we want to do that. Ultimately, God has offered us all His grace through which He can work through us and do amazing things, and save us from sin, transform us into the image of Jesus, and give us eternal life one day. And if we can help you make sure that you are following Jesus and that you have that hope, we would love to help you this morning as we stand and as we sing.